Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our central London service. To hear talks from each of our services, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. As you might know, we are taking a short break from our Gospel of Luke series, which we feel like we started at the start of the year, and we're, we're going to still continue it on into, into next year. But we're take, taking a short break for Advent in the lead up to Christmas. I can't believe it is December already. Like, this year has just flown by. Advent has now in full swing. Uh, many of us will be eating through the chocolates and our calendars. Um, maybe some of us have finished them already. I don't know. It's just 15 days until Christmas, guys. 24 days until 2024. 36 days until I turn 32, my birthday. And 115 days until my next holiday in sunshine and sun. I can't wait. Goodbye, cold, dark days, and hello, lighter, warmer days. Now, many of us might be already thinking into uh, what is ahead in the new year and what it might hold. But those who are more reflective among us might be reflecting more on what this current year has held. And maybe we've experienced some significant changes this year for ourselves. Maybe a few of us are going through some significant changes right now, or we are anticipating some to come, either uh, in the new year or beyond. Or perhaps for some of us, um, we are either counting down the days till Christmas and New Year with a lot of hope and joy and anticipation, and, and, and others of us are actually uh, quite anxious about it, quite stressed out with it. Um, and actually, for a lot of us, maybe we're just indifferent. Maybe we just think this Christmas season is just like any other season, any other Christmas before it. Uh, I'm not expecting any more or less than before. Now, despite its origin, I know for a lot of us, Christmas might feel like a, a time of year where the message of Christmas often gets lost amid the consumerism, the commercialism, and the costliness that this season can bring. Uh, just a few stats uh, around Christmas time UK consumption. Um, now, just to say, I was initially going to do a quiz about this. I know you guys in Central love a good quiz. Um, but I'm not a great quiz master. And also, apparently, Natalie gave you all the answers last week. So uh, to save myself the, the hassle of that, uh, I'm just going to uh, mention some of these really quickly. 21 billion. Does anyone know what that refers to at all? No? Huh. Did you do a quiz last week now or what? Uh, clearly. <laughs> 21 billion is the number, uh, is the amount of money that we will spend this year on Christmas gifts for family and friends. Uh, last year, Amazon received 41 orders per second on its busiest day. Postal orders go up by 99%. We produce over 230,000 tons of waste each year for Christmas, and we drink over 250 million pints of beer over Christmas. Now, I'll be honest, that's probably the stat that least surprised me. I mean, we are in Britain after all, right? But this I only learned yesterday, uh, and it didn't make it onto the slide because of this, but apparently between now and New Year's Day, Britons will spend around 1.7 billion hours watching TV and streaming. Now, just to put that in, uh, in, in years, that's 194,000 years worth of time that we will spend watching Netflix, TV, whatever, it, whatever else it is that we watch. Plus, 
we will spend around 17 million hours shopping online on Boxing Day alone. And that doesn't even include the uh, hours we spend in supermarkets or shopping centers or shopping in person or on any other day apart from Boxing Day, etc. And just to give a bit of context to this, all this is taking place in a, in, 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 a, um, in a time and context where currently in the UK we owe over two trillion pounds in personal debt. Now, um, just a note here, last week I preached this in Mile End and I completely misread the figure. I completely misquoted this number. I said billion instead of trillion. Now, there's several reasons for that. A, maths was never my strength. I will say that very openly. Um, and I, I feel like my brain, if, when, when, there are, when a number reaches a certain amount of zeros, I just stop computing. Uh, it starts becoming a little bit meaningless to me. Um, but two trillion pounds in personal debt. Now, of course, a lot of this, or the vast majority of this, is tied up uh, in secured debt, so maybe with mortgages um, and um, and other stuff, but according to PwC, at least 20% of this, so over 400 billion pounds, is tied up in unsecured loans and credit card debts that we use to purchase stuff with. We basically spend a lot of money, folks, that we don't have. And this is up by 25 billion since last year alone, and year after year, the stats keep showing us that it goes up and up and up. Apparently, if you divided this across every single household in the UK evenly, Every single household would have a debt of 65,000 pounds. We spend a lot of money, and we spend a lot of time spending a lot of money too. And for many of us, the level of debt can be so frightening, such a frightening reality that I think it traps us in despair and tempts us to live life driven by the need for more money. Now, Please don't hear me wrong this morning. My aim today isn't to stop us buying gifts for people. Like, I'm not trying to stop everyone from expressing their love language. If you have a gift for me, I will very happily take it, folks. Like, please don't take this as stop buying Christmas presents. I'm not saying as well that we should stop buying beer or stop watching Squid Games or I'm a Celebrity or whatever else it is that we are watching. Now, I'm also not calling us to... Uh, put on sackcloth and ashes over Christmas or to tear our robes at the Christmas table and bemoan and complain about the culture of excessiveness and consumerism that is so prevalent in this season. I'm also not trying to shame anyone in this, uh, in this room or beyond this room, especially anyone who might be living in very difficult financial circumstances and having to make really tough decisions every single day. And anyone in that situation, especially uh, if you happen to be part of this church community, like we want to support you and others here are here to support you in any way we can. It's one of the reasons we've partnered with Acts 435. And if you're here and you're struggling at all financially and have urgent needs, then please don't hesitate to uh, either speak to Natalie or myself with uh, two of the advocates for Acts 435. Uh, so we'd be more than happy to talk to you. And it's completely anonymous. Uh, it's anonymous for the person who's receiving help. And it's also anonymous for anyone who's also giving towards an urgent need. Now, um, there have been numerous needs that have been met through this platform that we've been able to uh, support uh, across all of our services. And there have been amazing stories of 
needs going up and being instantly met as soon as they've gone up. Like I've seen them pop up in our um, weekly notice board email. And as soon as you click through, it's like it's just immediately gone because someone's provided for it. It's just been incredible seeing that take place. And for many of us, we might also benefit from excellent charities like Christians Against Poverty. We often run a course here at Christchurch London to help with things like budgeting and managing finances. And it's open to anyone. Uh, Many within our church and also outside of our church have found it incredibly helpful. And we're actually planning on running one in the spring next year as well. So that might be something that is very helpful and useful. You can chat to Natalie again if you want to register your interest for that. Um, And CAP, the the website, CAP's website have loads of incredible resources uh, on uh, budgeting and, and also debt advice as well. And I just want to say at this, at this point, like, it is so normal to be struggling with this. And you are not alone. No one is alone. And for many of us, I think there might be more of a, an internal battle when it comes to money. I think it's quite common to feel a sense of shame or fear around how we've handled money or how much debt we're in or worrying about finances. I know I've had to go through that, with, uh, whether with my family or by myself. And especially, uh, this, is, this is especially the case when everything externally might look all well. In January, we're uh, launching a STEPS course, and that could be a very helpful way of working through some of these ways of thinking, some of these fears, and these internal battles that we often can face when relating to money. Any sense of shame or guilt that we might feel, this is a very good uh, course that could help us work through some of those things. But the reason I shared some of these stats earlier is to help us see why so many of us find this season immensely challenging and difficult. Even the majority of us who are actually in a position to make some simpler choices about how we spend money. Despite what it's meant to be, Christmas can feel like the epitome of stress and worry in a time of excessive consumerism. A recent study done by YouGov um, found that one in five Brits feel stress during Christmas with around one in four struggling with mental health. And at least a quarter of us will find this the, the most challenging time of year, whether financially with strains and family expectations or commitments that we have. Many of us will also experience loneliness and depression, as well as worrying about having to live up to these impossible appearances and expectations that either we've set ourselves or that uh, have been set by society around us. And so, uh, as David mentioned earlier, it's in the midst of all of this that we have Advent. The word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming or arrival. And for hundreds of years, followers of Jesus have used this time to re-anticipate the coming of Jesus, who the Bible describes is Emmanuel, God with us. So it's a season to not just celebrate his arrival 2,000 years ago, but also look forward with hope and expectation to when he comes again to renew and restore the whole world. Uh, Some of you will know the author Kevin DeYoung, and Kevin DeYoung wonderfully put it that Advent reminds us that we are living between the hallelujah of Christ's resurrection and the Maranatha of Christ's return. Maranatha meaning come Lord or the Lord is coming. We live in the now and the not yet. We're hoping, we're expecting, and we are waiting. We're living in the tension of what things are like right now for us and what 
it will be like when Jesus returns. And it's in this tension that we also get to rejoice. We rejoice that Jesus was born. We rejoice that he has defeated death and sin and suffering and will one day eradicate it completely from the face of our world. And this is the story that every single one of us are invited to this Christmas. This is a story that we are called to be immersed into, a story of hope, a story that was literally birthed with the story of Jesus' arrival on earth, a story that we get to carry into this world where many are either confused about what story they're in or they're simply living to the tune of any story that is competing for their attention, their loyalty, their money. A few decades ago, in the 1980s, the uh, philosopher Alistair McIntyre was reflecting on a generation, particularly in the West, who were growing up without really knowing what story they're called to be part of and what story they're heading towards. And he says this, he says, man is in his actions and practice, as well as in his fictions, essentially a storytelling animal. I can only answer the question, what am I to do if I can answer the prior question, Of what story or stories do I find myself a part? We enter human society with roles into which we have been drafted, and we have to learn what they are in order to be able to understand how others respond to us and how our responses to them are apt to be construed. And this is what I think is really important. He says, deprive children of stories, and you leave them unscripted, anxious stutterers in their actions as in their words. Hence, there is no way to give us an understanding of any society, including our own, except through the stock of stories. What is our story? What is the script that we are living and breathing? Where has it come from? Do we even know that we have one? As McIntyre puts it, it seems that something has gone really really wrong in our cultural moment. It seems that the narratives we framed have led to a lot of despair and anxiety. And so many reports have pointed out that particularly the millennial generation and the Gen Z generations have precisely become these unscripted, anxious stutterers. A few years ago, uh, some of you might recall, our church hosted uh, an event in partnership with World Vision who released a striking report revealing how, despite how hyper-connected and globally-minded that we've become, yet we have seen an increase in more and more anxiety as well. And despite how much uh, technology and material wealth that we've acquired compared to any other generation in history, so many of us feel deeply lonely and deeply disconnected relationally. We are desperately longing for connection and happiness in an age where consumerism tells us that we get it by buying it, by acquiring it in services and products, by consuming, and that our story is tied to how much we can have materially. Okay, so what does this have to do with Advent? I hear you asking. Well, during Advent, we're invited to experience a better story than anything our world and our culture can provide. Advent invites us to live in light of the grand story of Jesus' arrival on earth and his promise to return. So if the story of consumerism leads us to excess and indulgence and debt, what does Advent give us? 
Well, over the last few weeks, uh, we've been exploring some of this. So last week, Natalie touched on uh, how Advent leads us to simplicity in a world of excessiveness. And today, we are looking at generosity in a time of indulgence. Now, I'm aware we did a whole series on generosity in the Bible earlier this year, so I'm not going to repeat everything that we mentioned there. All those talks are available on the website. I'd highly recommend uh, that you can go listen to them if you are interested. They're all accessible there. But seen as it's almost Christmas, and Christmas is about the, the arrival of Jesus, we're going to just read a short passage which, re- which reminds us of the story of generosity that we share through Jesus's arrival. The passage is from Mark chapter 10 in verse 45. It's probably one of my favorite passages in the, in the whole Bible. Let me read it out for us. And this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Now, just to give a little bit of context to this, in context, Jesus is challenging his disciples not to lord it over each other. Essentially, where they were seeking to establish authority over and against each other. He mentions that this is exactly what the world around them does in how it views status and wealth and its positions. And just before Jesus says this, the disciples were bickering over who gets the best seat in Jesus' kingdom, who was entitled to receive better gifts, who was more important. In fact, two of the disciples asked Jesus, Teacher, we want you to do us, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Essentially, they were expecting Jesus to be Santa Claus. And what's interesting is they do they asked this right after Jesus had said to them, guys. When we head to Jerusalem, I'm going to be mocked, I'm going to be stoned, I'm going to be spat on, I'm going to be killed. And yet this is what their priority was. And Jesus indulges this request. He says to them, well, what is it that you are seeking? And then they respond to him saying, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Their priority was to secure their own positions for themselves, to have the best seat in the house, so to speak. And they wanted it to serve themselves. And what does Jesus do? Well, he he responds by inviting them to live a completely different story. He responds by saying that they are part of a completely, completely different way of living. A way of living that he himself sets up. And first, the story begins with him coming as a human. We're told the son of man came. He came as a person. This is the Christmas story, right? He came as a baby into the world to be personally involved in the lives of his people. He didn't just stand aloof and afar and say, oh, I'm not going near those sinners. No, he came right into the darkness. He came right into the brokenness and into the chaos of this world to bring God's light. Second, he came with a priority, not to be served, but to serve and give his life. Being served, of course, was absolutely his right, his divine right as God. If anyone in this world deserved to have everything given to them because it belonged to them in the first place, well, it was Jesus. Yet, he says, his priority wasn't to be served, but to serve. He would steward his position as both God and as man to serve others. Now, what I think this implies is that Jesus is saying that every role requires servanthood. 
Whether we're in high positions or in low positions, we are called to service. Whether we're a parent or a son or a daughter, an, empl an employee or a leader, a friend, a sibling or a husband or a wife, Jesus makes the point that he himself wasn't excluded from the very principle he was teaching his disciples. He came not to be served, but to serve. And all along, he was showing his disciples that his priority wasn't to be esteemed as a, ad, or admired as a Jewish leader. If that was his priority, he wouldn't be hanging out with a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors. He wouldn't have been born into a manger. We wouldn't read about shepherds being the first people to see his arrival on earth. And we certainly wouldn't read of Mary and Joseph being the parents that he'd be born to. A couple from, a very ordinary couple from an ordinary place that no one cared about. And lastly, he came with a purpose, to give his life as a ransom for many. If Jesus' priority had been to serve himself, which only he had every right to do, it would have brought about a completely different outcome to what was needed, to what we desperately needed. So what was it that we needed? Well, we needed a debt to be paid. We needed a debt that was infinitely worse than any financial debt we could imagine. A debt we owed because of sin. A debt we'd never be able to pay ourselves. A debt that humanity has carried ever since Adam and Eve decided to indulge themselves in a story other than what God had created them for. And because of this debt of sin, the Bible says that we were held to ransom by death. It's literally it's describing a, a hostage situation. Um, I'm not sure if Andy Tilsley had preached on uh, the passage where Jesus and Bill's, uh, Jesus, on Jesus and Bill's bowl in Luke chapter 11 here in Central. I think he, he might have a few weeks ago. But in that passage, Jesus describes uh, those living under the authority and the power of the devil uh, as, being, uh, as being these people who are in a house taken hostage with a strong man and not being able to escape that strong man. And in order to see freedom from that strong man, you need a stronger man to come and bind up the strong man in the house in order to liberate and free the captives of that house. It's a similar description of sin and death. We are held captive by the strong man of death. But Jesus steps into the story of humanity to pay the price of our ransom with his very life. So we can now follow him in complete forgiveness of debt, complete forgiveness and freedom to live the story of God that he intended us to live. And what's more, Jesus generously gives us his spirit to help us live with his same purpose of generosity and service in this world. Okay, so what, with this in mind, um, what are, as we begin Advent, what are some of the ways we might be able to live this out and share this with others? Well, we've already heard some very practical ways we might get to do this as a community and as a church. Firstly, we could invite our friends to uh, the carol service next week to explore this Christmas story, to explore what Christmas is all about. And if we haven't, then maybe we can think of two or three friends that we can extend an invite to, maybe colleagues at work or family members. 
maybe we can also be thinking and praying about our own contribution to the Christmas offering that's coming up. Uh, One charity that uh, we're giving to is Growth. And many of you will already know of Growth. We've mentioned Growth a few times also in the, in the central service. Uh, and we've partnered with them for a, quite, quite a few many years. And I know a few of you also have volunteered as part of the night shelter that Growth puts on. So if we're able to, we might even want to consider serving at the Growth Night Shelter, let's say, over Christmas and in January. And there are loads of opportunities for this. Uh, You can speak to Natalie, you can speak to Timmy. Timmy's been so highly uh, involved in volunteering for growth. You can speak to myself uh, for any more details. But even beyond what we do as a church community, maybe there are ways that each of us can live generously with our family, friends, and colleagues. Perhaps it's opening up our homes to those who otherwise wouldn't have community this Christmas, or offering them time and prayer in what can be the most hectic and busy season of the year for any line of work that we might be in. Or maybe, just maybe, it's stopping for a moment. Just stopping to think, before I buy or consume anything, to think, is this really needed? Or am I buying into this because of a story that tells me I need this? Or adverts that tell me I am what I have? Or I am what everyone else my age has? Or I am what everyone else in my income bracket has. One of the biggest spiritual weapons that the Bible gives us to resist the pressure of excessive indulgence is contentment. And the Apostle Paul said that he had learned to learn the secret of being content in any and every situation. And this actually might well be the battle that many of us will be fighting in our hearts and minds this Christmas. And I think that many of us discover, uh, what many of us discover is when we learn to be content with less stuff, it then frees us up to have more freedom and capacity to serve and bless others. And when we practice the spiritual discipline of emptying and simplifying and making space with how we spend our money and time, it gives us more capacity to serve and be generous. Now, I think I've mentioned this before. And I'll mention it again, but I hope the key takeaway from this is not, oh, I need to give more. Oh, I need to serve more or serve harder. It's not just to make us all feel bad because we'll all often fail to serve and give the way that we should. The point is not about perfection. It's about direction. It's the trajectory of our lives, that our lives start looking more like people who are living a different story for a different kingdom. For a kingdom whose king meets us in our deepest longings, who promises us that his presence will be with us, regardless of how much we have or don't have, regardless of how much we can give or not give, or how much we can serve or not serve. And I hope the key takeaway from this is simply this, that we ask ourselves, what is the story I'm living for this Christmas? What is the story I'm living for? this Christmas? And what story does my spending suggest I'm living in? What is the script that I'm living and breathing with my time and money? Obviously, very practically, it could be worth just considering how much income we genuinely need to live on and what God might be calling us to do with the surplus. Maybe asking ourselves, how might God be leading me to steward my money in a way that makes the most of it for his kingdom purposes? An obvious application, obviously, it could be giving towards the mission of the church, but 
it's also worth considering everyday changes. I've seen and heard so many stories of, uh, of people uh, within our church community, either helping others in their training or education, or community groups intentionally get, uh, getting together to put money aside, a pot together, to help practice generosity and help others in need. How can we point our friends and family to a better story? Well, in Advent, we're invited to live for a different story, a story that paints a picture of our loving Savior who personally came not to be served, but to serve and give his life for our ransom. Now, I wanted to end just by playing a video, which I really hope isn't too cheesy for you guys. I just about got away with it in mile end. Uh, I feel like a lot of us here are wired pretty similarly to my lane. So you might find this a bit cheesy, but hey, it's Christmas. We are allowed, uh, so you can forgive the cheesiness. And it is very 2010. I know flash mobs aren't a thing that much anymore. But I thought this video was excellent. It's of a flash mob that enter a shopping center, a busy shopping center, with people wolfing down their lunch before rushing to get all the best Christmas deals in the shops. Uh, and this hidden choir starts singing Handel's Hallelujah Chorus. And I know a few of you from Central actually went to watch uh, Handel's Messiah, was, was it yesterday or a few days? On Wednesday. Um, so, um, yeah, this is a repeat for you guys. But um, what I love about this video is that it gives us just this wonderful illustration of how we as the people of God get to lift the attention of the world around us amidst the busyness and the stressfulness and the costliness that this season carries. And it gives us a picture of how, of how Advent introduces a completely different pace, a completely different peace, and a completely different voice altogether for others to join. And what I really love, and I'll just mention this last thing before we play, but what I really love is that these singers creatively and lovingly tune the attention of everyone towards heaven. And so much so... Towards the end of the song, what you might notice is that you can hardly distinguish between who is part of this choir and who is just a regular shopper. And I think it's beautiful because it's kind of a picture of what we're called to do as a people of God, not just complain about consumerism and also not to conform to its story either, but actually creatively introduce people to a different story, a different song, and a different tune altogether. So... We'll play the video now. It's just under five minutes long. So sit back, enjoy. And afterwards, I'll be back up to pray for us and the band will lead us in worship. Let's play now.
Why don't we stand and worship? Pray for us. Yes, Jesus, thank you that you are the king of the best story. God, you are the author and the perfecter of this story in our faith. And Jesus, this Christmas, may our hearts be tuned to your song, to your rhythm, to your pace. To a song that magnifies your name and your worth. A song that sings glory to God in the highest and on earth peace on those on whom his favor rests. So Jesus, we magnify you. And I pray that for all our friends and family and colleagues in the world surrounding us, we would be able to live out this better story for them to see that this is the most beautiful loving story of all, of our Savior, who was born in a manger, who came to rescue his people, to forgive us, to free us from our sin, from our debt, from our suffering and pain, that one day you will completely renew and restore this world. Help us to live for you by your power and your spirit. Yeah, Lord, we give this moment to you. We ask, Lord God, would you pour out your spirit on us afresh as your people to sing aloud your praise and help others to join along too. In Jesus' name, amen.